so the world might know that you reign in us. We're sort of going to be talking about that this morning as we open our Bibles to the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 13. Today we finish our series on Pick a Parable, the parables that you chose and you asked us to preach on. We finish that series up today. And uh, next week, we start a three-week series called Invest in Others. You know, here at Mount Calvary Church, if you're visiting with us today, we're all about Pi Square. Pray, invest, and invite. Pray, invest, and invite. So we've been talking a lot about prayer in Sunday school during these two months of January and February, and we'll do that into March also. And we're going to spend three weeks talking about how we need to be investing ourselves in the lives of others. And Pastor John will start that series off next Sunday morning. And we'll do three weeks, and then we'll have our missions conference. And uh, Dr. Sheard is our keynote speaker this year for our missions conference. And instead of going outside of our ministry, we thought, why don't we already, we have somebody in our ministry who's been on the mission field and has a heart and a passion for missions. So uh, we're extending our missions conferences a little bit as he is going to be preaching two Sundays in a row. And actually we'll start doing some things about missions on the 9th of March and introducing you a little bit to missions and why missions is important. And so uh, that's the way we're heading in the month of March. We wanted to make you aware of that. But today we're going to be here in Matthew chapter 13. Let's pray and then we'll look at this portion. Father, Lord, we pray today that you might use the word of God to speak to our hearts. Lord, as we finish this message this morning, there are some very practical things that we're going to talk about that I believe that every person who proclaims the name of Christ needs to be doing. And so, Lord, I pray that as we move towards that climax of this message, Lord, that you might use it to challenge us and speak to our hearts about our place in the world. And Lord, we want you to reign in us so that the world might see you through us. So Father, may your Holy Spirit work through this message today. It's in the name of Christ we pray, amen. In his book, The Case for Faith, Lee Strobel introduces us to a man named John Templeton. You probably wouldn't recognize that name at all. You would recognize the name Billy Graham, and he was a contemporary, if you would, of Billy Graham back in the 1940s and 1950s, and God was using John Templeton almost as much as he was using Billy Graham. And so we might ask the question, well, what happened? I mean, he did. He went and not only did he do citywide evangelism, but he also planted a church which just took off and grew tremendously. But today... John Templeton is a heretic. You might say, well, what, what brought him to that point? It was when he picked up a copy of Life magazine. On the front of Life magazine was a picture of a woman in Africa holding a, her dead baby in her arms, looking up. She was looking up because she was looking for rain because Africa was in a horrible drought at that time. And that baby had died because of the drought. John Templeton said, I looked at that picture and I began to think, if God is such a loving God and God is such a caring God and God is the God who provides rain, why 
did he allow that evil to happen? Why did he allow that little girl to die? Why did he allow that mother to suffer like she suffered? And that's a question that's been asked down through the centuries. Why? Why, God? Why do you allow evil to go on? Why do you allow such sorrow in the world? God, why don't you just come and deal with sin? Why don't you just come and deal with evil? When we stop and we think here in America, a woman is beaten every 15 seconds. 1.3 women are raped every minute. 45 were killed in alcohol-related traffic deaths every day, 45 people. About six children are uh, reported abused and neglected every 60 seconds. There's a murder every 15 minutes. There is a robbery every 15 seconds. And so we ask the question, God, why? And we go back to the Old Testament prophets, Haggai and Habakkuk, and they ask the same question, even David in his Psalms. God, why do the wicked prosper? God, why? Why do these things happen? Why is evil still here? Why haven't you just eradicated the world, world of evil? Well, we're going to see this morning in this text why God has chose not to do that in this age that we live in. So I call your attention here to Matthew chapter 13 as we look at the wheat and the weeds, or the wheat and the tares. Look at those first words of our text this morning, chapter 13, verse 1. That same day. So before we get to our parables, Pastor John and I have done all through this, we sort of have to give you context of what's going on here in the portion of Scripture before we look at our parable. And uh, that same day, what, what, what are we talking about? We're talking about that day when just before this, Jesus' mother and his brothers came to confront him. They came to him because they were worried. He had been out preaching, and by this time, he had torqued the Pharisees and the Sadducees pretty much, and they were looking to, to catch him up, and at this point, even talking about killing him and having him killed. They didn't like it that he was proclaiming to be God in the flesh, and so they were upset. And so his brothers and his mother were coming to warn him, Jesus, you need to back off. Jesus, if you don't back off here, you're going to be killed. And so this is the day that we're talking about. They had just come to confront him. Now, he had done a lot of other things that day. He had healed many people. Uh, he had told the Pharisees that they were committing the unpardonable uh, sin by accusing him of casting out demons by Satan's power. Um, he had talked to some unbelieving Jews, how they were, going to be con how they were wrong in condemning the Gentiles. Uh, he had condemned these Jews who were preaching moral reform instead of spiritual rebirth. And so it had been a pretty controversial day in the life of Christ's ministry. And just before that, this teaching that we're going to be looking at here, his brother and his mothers had come to confront him. Yes, yet in the midst of all of this, he still has lots of people who are following him. And we see that. It says in verse 2, And a great crowd gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat down, and the whole crowd stood on the beach, and he told them many things in parables, saying... And this really is a, almost a turning point in Jesus' teaching ministry. 
because now he's really going to get into using parables. He's even going to explain in this chapter, we won't take the time to go through it today, but he's going to explain why he teaches in parables. In fact, in Matthew chapter 13, there are eight different parables that Jesus uses to illustrate. Again, parables are illustrating a heavenly principle with an earthly thing. And so that's what he's going to do. He's going to illustrate some heavenly principles here in this parable. So he's changing his whole method of teaching to really using parables at this time. Um, and the two parables that we're going to look at, and the one in particular, are parables that deal with farming. And so everybody in that was either a fisherman or a farmer, uh, sold some type of merchandise, so they could certainly relate, maybe even more than we can, to these two parables that he's going to be looking at. And so we'll just look at two of the eight, and especially one of the eight, the wheat and the tares. But I want us to look at this first parable, since I think the two relate back and forth. So we'll start there in verse 3. And he told them many things in parables. He said, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell along the path. And the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, and where, and where they did not have such soil. And immediately they sprang up, and since they had no depth of soil, but when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced gain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty, and he who has ears, let him hear. So here's the parable, and then let's go ahead while we're in this, and let's look at the interpretation of this parable. Go over, if you would, to verse 18. Here, then, is the parable of the sower. This is the parable of the sower, the seed, and the soil. Here, then, the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. And as for what was sown on the rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arise on account of the word, immediately falls away. As for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness, deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case, a hundredfold, and in another sixty, and in another thirty. So just before we get to the wheat and the weeds, I want to talk a little bit about the parable of the sower. Again, because again, it's in the context. And let me just give you a frame of reference to put these parables in today. I believe Matthew 13 is dealing in the time period from Christ's first coming to earth to Christ's second coming. So these parables are dealing with the time that you and I live in right now. We know that Christ came the first time, but we know he said that he's coming back. And so these parables are for us. These parables give us lessons that we're to learn and we're to live out in our lives. So these just weren't for these people that he's preaching. These parables are really for us. 
And so let's, let's look at the interpretation first of this one. First of all, we have the sower here, the sower of the seed. And I believe that the sower here can be God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. They all sow the seed. But also I believe it can be us who are sowing the seed because the seed is the gospel. It is the word of the kingdom, which for us, it's the gospel. It's the good news of Jesus Christ, that Christ has come. He died on the cross for our sin. He was buried and he rose again the third day so that we might be able to experience eternal life with him in heaven. And so that's the seed that he's sowing. He's sowing the seed of the gospel. That's the seed that we're to sow also, the gospel. As we go out into the world, we are to sow the seed of the gospel. So, so we have the sower, we have the seed, which is the gospel. And guys, we're ahead at the next parable. If you just back up and leave the picture of the sower on there so we don't get confused. So we, are, we have the sower is Christ or us. We have the seed is the gospel. And the four different types of soils represent the hearers. So there's a picture of someone and what it would have been like to sow during the, Christ, during the time of Christ. And uh, so he sows. Um, he's sowing the seed of the gospel, and then there are four types of hearers. First of all, there is the what we might call the roadside hearer, where the gospel, where the seed is sort of put out on the side of the road, where the ground is hard and packed. And uh, this is the unresponsive hearer. They hear the gospel, and they don't, even, they don't even sort of acknowledge it. And the birds come along and pick up the seed. So it never gets into them whatsoever. And maybe you've shared the gospel of Christ with people. And maybe you've seen that. And I've experienced it where I share the good news of Christ with somebody, and it's, they're not even interested. They don't even want to hear it. That's the first type of soil. It's that hard packed soil. And then he says there's the rocky ground here. That rocky ground is the superficial here. Uh, they received and then they turn away. I've seen people like that also. They, they supposedly make a profession of faith and there's these emotions that come out, but then all of a sudden you don't see them anymore. Maybe they come to church and they walk an aisle or they, they say they accept Christ, but really I don't believe that seed ever really takes root in their life. And that's what, that's what it's saying. It's just superficial. They receive and then they turn away. Then there's the third type of here, and that is the thorny ground here. It says they receive the word, but the world chokes it out. And they still end up living for the world. Seen those type of people too, who they come, they make a profession of faith, and all of a sudden you turn around and they're right back in the world doing all the same things that they were doing before they got saved. And we know the Word of God says that, listen, when we come to know Jesus Christ as our Savior, there will be a change in our life. We'll be a new person. We're a new creature in Christ. Old things are passing away. Behold, all things are becoming new. Doesn't mean we don't sin, but that shouldn't be a pattern in our life that's there over and over and over again. And so this is the person. And I think that you see a lot of these people in church because what does the Bible say? In the last days, there will be people, people who stand before Christ and say, well, Lord, we did this in your name and we did that in your name. And Lord, look at us. And he'll say, be gone because I never knew you. I think... All four of these people are in the church. And then there's the good soil. 
The last one is the good soil. The hearer hears it, and he receives, and he bears fruit. And you'll see that's what it says. He, it says, indeed, he bears fruit. He yields. In some cases, you know, 100-fold, in other 60, and another 30. And we're all going to bear fruit differently. We're, we're not cut, uh, cookie-cutter Christians. We're all going to bear fruit differently, he's saying here. But this person who truly is saved bears fruit. They bear fruit in their life. A true Christian, a true converted person is going to bear fruit. They're going to show the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, meekness, temperance. They're going to see those things exhibited in their life. The world, I believe, is going to see those things exhibited in your life if you're truly the hearer who the seed has taken in good soil. Now, this first parable deals with the response to the gospel. That's what it deals with. It's saying, listen, in the age, in this age, we might call it the church age. In this age, there are going to be four different responses that you're going to see when you share the gospel of Christ. These are the four responses that you're going to see. So that's that first parable. So the first parable deals with the response to the gospel during this age. The second parable, and the one that we're going to look at here, is what happens to believers or excuse me, what happens to unbelievers during this time? What happens to unbelievers during this time? And I think this second parable is really what that's driving at. So the first one deals with the response to the gospel. The second one deals with what happens to unbelievers. What happens when the, so when the seed falls on the roadside or on the rocky ground or on the thorny ground? What happens to those people. And that's what Christ wants to teach us in this next parable. And so it's called the parable of the tares or the parable of the wheat and the weeds. And let's read it. Let's start here in verse 24. And he put forth another parable before them saying, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, and the weeds appeared also, and the servants of the master of the house came and said unto him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? He said to them, An enemy has done this. So the servants said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, No, let it Gathering, let, uh, no, lest it's gathering the weeds, you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest, and the harvest time I'll tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. So here's this parable that he puts forth. Again, another farming parable. And so let's sort of go back and examine it a little bit and talk about it. First of all, there's the good seed, and it's assumed here sort of that that good seed falls on good ground, and it sprouts up and begins, in a sense, to produce. And so we have the good soil. It takes root. When it grows, it's a healthy product. And then there's, that's the first sower. Then there's the second sower who comes along, and we'll talk about this in just a few minutes. He sows other weed. Now, he comes at night and does this. I don't think this parable is trying to tell you that 
the people who had sowed the good seed, you know, they, they were lazy and they didn't pay attention. The natural thing was to what? Was to sleep at night. And so this person would sneak in and sow this tares while the others were sleeping. Um, didn't imply laziness or neglect. It just meant that they were sleeping. And I think that's important. Now, the tares are important for us to understand. Back in biblical times, there was actually a Roman law because... Remember, the Romans were controlling this part of the Middle East at that time. And uh, there was a, a law that the Romans had put into effect that said, if you come into your neighbor's field and you sow tares, you could be arrested and put into jail for that. It was a Roman law. And, and that's what they would do. If they, if they had something against you, your, your farmer next to you would come in in the middle of the night and he would put this seed in your um, field. It was called denarii. And this denarii, the thing, when it sprung up, it looked exactly like wheat. So if you walked out through the field and you saw these sprouts coming up, you would just think it's all wheat. Wow, it looks good. And even, and I, I've given you a picture here and you can see it, um, even as it began to grow until almost it was too big to do anything with, that's when you would say, wow, that's not wheat. That's this horrible seed. That's this weed. And so that's exactly what has happened. You know, when it first sprung up, it looked just like the wheat. But all of a sudden, as it began to grow a little bit larger, then the workers noticed, hey, this is not wheat. This is tares. They've sprung up among the wheat. And the, and the workers, the, they wanted to come and they wanted to yank them out. That's what they wanted to do. And what does Jesus say? No, don't do that. Don't yank them out. We'll deal with it at the very end when it's harvest time. So now, that's sort of a little bit of an overview. Now let's go back and let's dive into this and let's look and see what this is all talking about and how this applies to us today. So in this parable, we have the sower. We have the sower. And the sower here is Jesus Christ. And I believe he is sowing in his own field. What is Christ's field? It's the what? It's the world. He is sowing seed in his world. And I believe this is a picture of Christians that he has put into the world. We're put into the world for a reason. We're going to see that in a moment. But Christ comes along and he sows the seed. Now I want to remind you of something here this morning. Every person in this auditorium is born a tear. We are all born sinners, separated from God, headed to a Christless eternity. So we're all born as sinners. We're all born tares. And it's through the work of Jesus Christ that we turn from tares to what? To wheat. And so this is a picture here, though, that God plants you in the world. The Bible says before the foundation of the world, God chose you. Before the foundation of the world, God predestined you. God chose you to be a Christian, and he's placed you in his world. You want to stop and know why you're here? I'll tell you why you're here. You're here because God placed you in this world. It was his choice. He put you here. He predestined. He chose you before the foundation of the world. 
Now, one of the things I always like to do is I, I like to read a lot of other sermons or w- w- people who preach the same text that I'm preaching. I do that for weeks before I preach a text. And it's very interesting how many people, even though the scripture says here, the field is the world, they translate this parable and say, the field is the church. And God doesn't want to intermix in the church, saved and unsaved. You know, so we've we got to get rid of unsaved people out of your church. They come in, you want to get rid of them. So we set these rules and regulations of how we dress and what we do because we don't want to save people. That's, that's a horrible translation of this text. This text is saying, listen, God has planted us as Christians in the world, in the field, and it's the world. That's the interpretation. He is the sower, but there's a second sower. And who is that second sower? Who is it? It's Satan. It's the evil one who comes and plants. When did he start that? He started that all the way back in Genesis chapter 3 when he deceived Adam and Eve. And at that point, he began to sow this seed, this weed into the world. And so every person who's born is born a sinner, is born a weed, separated from God, until God does that work of salvation in their life and changes them. So he says here, the seed in this parable represents Christians who he scattered in the world. The evil seed is the tares. The tares are put there by Satan. Um, But it's interesting here what Jesus says about these tares, these weeds. Because the workers come along and they say, hey, hey, master, you know, you've got all these weeds. Don't you think we should be tearing these weeds up? Don't you think we should be grabbing these weeds and getting them out of the world? Don't you think that we should be dealing with the evil that's here in the world? And what does Jesus say? He said, not yet. He said, we're going to do that when the harvest comes. We're going to do that when the harvest comes because, see, the harvest represents... The end of this age. The harvest represents God's judgment at the end of this age. And he talks about the reapers. The angels will come and execute judgment. But you know, the disciples were no different than we are. The disciples were were just like us. They wanted judgment executed right now. Remember James and John? Remember there was a city who who they wanted to go through, and they were full of Gentiles, and and they uh, Samaritans, and they didn't want them to come through. They didn't want to provide any food for them. And so the disciples came to Jesus and said, Jesus, why don't you call down fire right now and destroy that city? Why don't you pronounce judgment upon that city right now? And what did Jesus say? Hey, guys, you got this all wrong. You've got this all wrong. I'm not here to judge right now. I'm here to seek and to save those which are lost. Have you ever thought like that in your mind? God, why don't you destroy all those people who abort babies? Or maybe you're like Waterboro Baptist Church in Kansas. God, why don't you just do away with all those fags? It's the signs that they carry. And I want to tell you, that's not what God wants us to be doing. That is a horrible use and a horrible misinterpretation of God's word, what that church does. 
And maybe you thought, maybe some of those thoughts have crossed your mind. And, and you know, may, and I know, you know, I don't work where a lot of you work. We don't deal with a lot of discord and disharmony and sin working here at Mount Calvary Church. But many of you, I know, you work out in the world. Some of you work in public education. And man, you experience some very difficult situations. Some of you work out in the world where, man, you see things happen and you are right in the middle of evil all the time. And you say, why, God? Why? Why? These things go on. Why do you let this, why do you allow these things to continue to happen? God, why don't you just come down and destroy these people right now? Why do you let them do these things? And the reality is we need to thank God for his grace and his mercy and his long suffering because maybe if God would have pronounced judgment, you wouldn't be a wheat right now. You would be a tear and you'd be in hell already. And so maybe it's the thing that we need to thank God for his long suffering. And God chose, listen, he chose to let the evil stay here. He chose, he chose not to get rid of it because he realized that taking up the root could destroy even some of, the, some of the wheat. So he said, don't do that. This is not about judgment. This is not about judgment. And you know, when you go back and you study world history, there have been times and movements through the world history who've made this whole thing of Christianity in this age about judgment. Let me just give you a few of them here. And uh, every time the church has presumed to do that, uh, it has produced ungodly bloodbaths. In the 4th century, the Roman emperor, emperor Constantine required every person to make a profession of faith in Christ on the pain of death. If you didn't, I'm, we're going to kill you. He succeeded in killing many true believers who refused to submit to his um, brand of Christianity. How about during the Crusades in the Middle Ages? Unbelievers brutally was committed, uh, excuse me, unbelievable brutality was committed against non-Christians, especially Muslims and Jews, in the name of the Prince of Peace. Or how about during the Inquisition, the reaction to the Protestant Reformation, when countless thousands of Christians, countless thousands of Christians who did not submit to the dogma of the Roman Catholic Church were murdered and tortured and executed. Why? Because we thought the church's job was to pronounce judgment. It's not why we're here. It's not why we're here. This is not the age of judgment. That's for the harvest time that he's talking about. So we're, we're in this age. We're not in this time. We're in this age of grace. It's an age of grace. It's an age that we are here for one purpose, and that purpose is to share the grace of Jesus Christ. God didn't pull the evil out. He allowed it to be here because he planted us in the middle of that evil. He planted you in your job. He planted you in your neighborhood. He planted you exactly where you are to share the good news of Jesus Christ. That's why we're here, church. That's why he left us. See, th this age is not about Judgment. Yes, there are consequences, there are repercussions to sin, but the reality is for us is we're here amongst the tares to share the good news of Jesus Christ 
And what are we sharing? Hey, listen, there's an end coming. There's a harvest coming where God or Jesus Christ is going to return and there's going to be judgment. And so we're telling those tares, turn, become wheat, become wheat. That's why you're here. So if you work in a very difficult situation today, if you work in a, in a situation where there's simply just, it seems like ungodliness prevails, or it seems like, you know, how can I do this another day? You need to say, God, I want to thank you for placing me where you placed me. God, you've put me here to be a light. You've put me here, Father, to sow the seed of the gospel. And so our prayer is you go out into the world. Maybe it's a college campus that you're on. Maybe it's a public high school where you go. The reason you're there is to be a witness for Jesus Christ. I'll never forget my dad who shared the gospel at his job quite a bit. He was a business manager for a public school, a district, a whole district. He was the business manager. And he was quiet, but yet dad very unassumingly often shared the gospel of Jesus Christ. And quite often people would end up coming to church because he had been a witness to them on the job. I remember he tried to instill that into me. And no matter what I did in life, he said, listen, there's one purpose you do these things in life. And it's to share the good news of Jesus Christ. We got in the car after I had wrestled in the state championship, and um, I didn't do real well. I had won my first couple matches and then lost, but our team as a whole was the state champions of Delaware. And so as we were driving home, it was my, my uh, sophomore year of high school, and we had won the state championship in the wrestling there in the state of Delaware. So we're driving home that day. My dad said, it's really exciting. It's really exciting what what God has done and allows you to wrestle and, and all those things. And he said this to me. He said, so what have you done to reach your team with the gospel this year? Because dad believed that sports was great, but he believed it was there for the purpose of sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. So he said, what, what have you done? And I said, I don't think I've done much. He said, well, we're going to pray this summer when you go back and you wrestle next year that you make an impact for Christ on your wrestling team. So we prayed, and this was his advice. He said, I want you to go to your coach, and I want you to ask your coach, would it be okay if you could pray before every meet? And I remember going to him and saying, hey, listen, I, I, I'm a Christian. I know Christ, and, and I'd like to pray before we go out. And my coach said, well, yeah, it couldn't hurt. And so then we began to have another great year, and we began to win match after match after match. And I remember my coach coming to me and saying, hey, make sure you pray today. I, I've got you on the dock, and I want you to pray before we go out there and wrestle. And that year, I saw four of my wrestling team come to know Christ as their Savior. And I believe it was my dad who kept me to realize, listen, God puts you in this public school. He puts you on this wrestling team, not to be state champions. He puts you there to share the good news of Jesus Christ. 
That's why you're there, Dick. And so that is our mentality. And I think that's what he's trying to get across to us. He doesn't rip evil away from us. He places us sometimes right in the midst of evil so that we can share the good news of Jesus Christ. We need to be that example to our neighbors, to those that we work with. And then look what he says here in this parable, because he does talk about the harvest. He does talk about the harvest. He says, at the end of the harvest, he says, we're going to gather up. He said, we're going to gather up those weeds. In verse 30, he says, let both grow together until the harvest, and at harvest time, I'll tell the reapers, gather the weeds first. And bind them in bundles to be burned. He says, bind them in bundles to be burned. You know what he's talking about here? He's talking about those who do not come to know Jesus Christ. He's talking about, listen, they are bundled to destruction. He said, they're going to take, and those who do not come to know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, they're going to be bundled up, and they're going to be cast into outer darkness. They're going to be cast into hell for eternity. See, God is one day going to deal with the problem of sin. And that's the time of judgment. This is not the time of judgment. This is the time of grace. And, and, but there will come a harvest day where God is going to take and he's going to bundle them up and he's going to cast them into hell forever. And if you think hell is a place of parting, if you think hell is a place where they're just going to continue in the way that they've lived, you are all wrong. The Bible explains it as a place of torment. Hell will have no friendships. Hell will have no fellowship. Hell will have no camaraderie. Hell will have no comfort. It will not even have the debauched pleasures that they've enjoyed here as long as they have lived on this earth. They will, the Bible says, be in pain for eternity. And the worst part of hell is not the fire. The worst part of hell is this, is that they are eternally separated from a God who loves them. They are eternally separated from knowing that love and grace of God. Every one of those tares who live here today, they, have, they experience God's grace just like you do. That's that evil person that you work with, those evil people. They experience God's grace every day. They get up, they enjoy the sunshine, they enjoy the rain, they enjoy the beauty. All of that stuff is God's grace. But there will come a judgment day when God sends forth the harvesters and they reap the harvest. They will be cast into hell forever. No pleasures in hell of any kind or degree, only torment. And I guess sometimes as much as we think about death, I think we think about hell. Just like I think I say to people at funerals all the time, you know, did you wake up today thinking that today might be the day that you die? I mean, it was the first thought on your mind today, hey, well, today might be the, the day that I, I die. 
Now we get up thinking about what? Today I got a thousand things to do and I got to accomplish things. We don't get up thinking today I'm going to die any more than people get up and think about, listen, today might be the day I go to hell. But I mean, let me ask you Christians, do you think about people dying and going to hell? You know, we're going to talk about why missions. I'll tell you why missions. Missions is important to God because God loves people. He loves people so much that he sent his son to die for our sin. He doesn't want people to die and go to hell. He's done everything I can. He's done everything he can so that people would not spend eternity in hell. Everything he could. Guy sat down in a barber chair. And he's talking to the barber, and he's trying to explain the gospel to this barber. And he said, hey, I, I, you know, I, I don't want anything to do with a God who sends people to hell. Just about that time, there's a guy who walks by the barber shop, and he said, hey, look at that guy out there. He said, look at him. Man, look at that head of hair. He's unkept, isn't he? What's wrong with you as a barber? How comes that guy doesn't look good? The barber said, well... Well, I'll tell you why he doesn't look good. He said it's because he won't come in here. It's not my fault. And he says, well, listen, don't blame it on God. God's done everything he can for the world, but they choose not to come to God. Christian, God has left us here because the harvest is coming. The harvest is coming. And we need to be warning people about it. And then he says here, that others, we, he says, they'll be burned, but gather the wheat and bring it into the barn. Bring it into the barn. Again, a picture of us. It's destruction for the unsaved, but it's glorification for us. One day, the problem is sin that keeps us from shining bright like a light. That's going to be gone. It's going to be taken away from us. He said, once and for all, we're going to be in heaven, glorified with Jesus Christ. There's coming a harvest. A harvest to destruction and a harvest to glorification. He says in this chapter several times, let him who has ears, let him hear. And what Jesus is saying when he says that is, I want you to hear this. I want you to take this serious. This is serious business. And so takeaway number one is listen, this is serious. This is really serious business that people are dying and going to hell. And, and what are we doing about it? This is serious business that God has planted you where he planted you to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's serious. And, and, and the other thing is, I want to ask you this. Are you a wheat or are you a weed? Just because you have a, a date written down in the front of your Bible that says, I was saved on this time, or you walked an aisle of a church, that doesn't mean you're going to heaven. I mean, I want to ask you, has there been a change in your life? Do you know for sure without a shadow of a doubt if today was the final day and the harvest time was for you, would you go to heaven or would you go to hell? There's only two places. And the thing, listen, the thing about wheat and weeds is you can't tell a whole lot of difference. And that's why there's a lot of people who come to church every week but go out and live in the world all week and live like the world and probably really don't know Jesus Christ as their Savior. And so the question is, are you 100% sure that you're a wheat and not a weed? And then lastly, 
If you're a wheat, these are some attitudes that we need to have. As you go out into the world this week, because God planted you here, He chose not to deal with the evil yet until the end time, this is what God expects of you. He expects love rather than hate. God hates sin, but God loves the sinner. And while that we are yet condemned, Christ died for us. So let me tell you, if you work beside somebody who is a homosexual, then you ought to love them. You ought to love them. That's what God called us to do. We ought to pronounce judgment. That's God's job. Our job is to love them. Our job is to give them the light of Jesus Christ and let them know there's a better way, a way that is in line with the Bible. And you know, these things, these things are reality. They touch our families. They touch every one of us. I have a cousin who is a lesbian, lives with a girlfriend in San Francisco. She came here last year to visit her mom, my aunt, and we took her out to lunch, and I talked with her, and I, I asked her about her partner, and I asked her how I could pray for her. I shared the gospel with her over lunch. She walked away. She told my aunt. She said, you know what? I thought for sure because he's a preacher, he was going to blast me. I just love her because I want to see Laura come to Jesus Christ because that's her only hope. So if I would have had lunch and just brought judgment upon her, I wouldn't have had a chance. But God's called us, church. Whether Listen, the most hideous sin that's around you, God's called us to love those people, not to judge them. He says, listen, we're to witness rather than condemn. We're to show mercy rather than judgment. We're to show compassion rather than contempt. And all you stinking sinner, what's wrong with you? How can you even live like that? Listen, they're not a whole lot different than any of us. That's what God calls us to do. Listen, if a, if a person walked into our church who sees things different than we do, then we ought to love them to Christ. That doesn't mean we don't, we don't share with them it's a sin, but we love them. That's what God's called us to do in this age. Let him do his job of judgment. Let him do that job. Now listen, now he does tell us that we're to judge those within, doesn't he? He said, if you see people in the church who aren't living right, the church is to what? They're to judge them. They're to bring them to church discipline. So there is that aspect. And we're not there this morning. We're dealing with this parable. And so this parable teaches us that what? We're in the world. God's not going to do away with evil right now. There will be a time when he'll judge it. But today, our job is to love our job is to witness. Our job is to show grace and mercy and to reach out with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Church, that's why we exist. That's why we exist. If we're not going to do it, we might as well pack up our bags and close the doors. Because that's why we exist as a church, is to reach people with the gospel of Christ. You know, and if it doesn't bother you to, that we don't see people saved, it bothers me all the time. It bothers me. It bothers me. I get excited a, a month ago. Mrs. Moomaw had an opportunity to reconnect with a college friend. So she drove to Maryland for the weekend to spend time. And when she got there, she took that opportunity to share the good news of Jesus Christ with a college friend. And that college friend accepted Jesus Christ as her personal savior. That's what it's all about. That's why God put us here. Not to judge, but to witness and show grace. Let's pray. Father, 
You've allowed the evil to stay here. It's your choice, God. You will someday deal with it in a horrendous way in the end time. But Lord, it's not the end time yet. It could be. We could be very close. It certainly seems like it. But Lord, the Bible says that you will send forth your reapers. And that you will bring judgment upon this earth like we've never seen before. But until that time, God, the church is each of us here that you've placed in the world, and that is all kinds of places that are represented that we live, all kinds of places represented that we go to school, all kinds of places represented here this morning where we work, that you have put us right there for one purpose. Not to judge, but to witness the gospel of grace, the only hope they have is the good news. Help us to do that. It's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen. Wheat, as we go forth this week, as we go out into the world where God has planted every one of you, as you go to your job, as you drive around town, as you go to the supermarket, as you go to the doctors, as you go to your neighborhood, let's share grace you know we don't have to worry about the result all we're told to do is what sow the seed the rest is up to God don't listen don't worry about it if you sow the seed and they don't accept there's all kinds of grounds remember there's four of them you're going to sow a lot of seed so let's go forth sowing seed this week and let God worry about the increase that's what God wants us to do as wheat